My name's Chad. You may know that. Uh, if you don't, I'm Chad, uh, one of the pastors here. Really great to be together. I want to say hey to everybody online. Uh, even if you're watching later this week, believe the Lord is here. One of the things that, that strikes me um, as we're in this socially distanced time still, one is that the Lord um, is never socially distanced from us. Um, he is very close um, and probably a little too close to you this morning. And that's a good thing. You want him right there in your ear, right on your shoulder, speaking to you and calling to you. And that's a great thing. And we need that this morning. Um, I'm not sure where you are. Uh, I have been a little weary of this just a little weary of this and the things that we're experiencing, the stuff we're going through and talking to the Lord about it a lot. And so it's a great thing to be together and to hear his voice and to spend time in his word and to worship. Isn't that a sweet time? Our worship team, didn't they do a great job? Awesome stuff. Thank you, Sammy and the team. Um, let's, let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Encourage you, even if you're like, ugh, I'm just so this, Lord, this is going on and this is hard and this is difficult. Just to have a posture in your heart, if it's good for you, sometimes I do this at home. Um, I'll just open my hands to him and say, Lord, I just, boy, I just need you right now. And so let's, let's do that together. If you feel comfortable, open your hands. Same thing with those of you online or if you're watching from, let's just come to him now. Lord, we do look to you. Uh, as the one who uh, does have the overwhelming love that we need. And God, we are, um, we don't know what to do. I think about that passage in the Old Testament all the time. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so God, we come to your word again, once again, to hear from you, hear your voice, Lord, to have our hearts changed and transformed. God, if we're considering maybe a relationship with you, if we're starting over again, if we've not believed up until this point, but maybe we're saying, you know what? I don't know if I'm getting very much out of the world. Maybe I'll give this a shot. Lord, do what you do best today. Meet us in those places, Lord. Let your spirit sweetly but firmly pursue us this morning. Thank you for your word that it's true, that it's everlasting. And God, that we can acknowledge you as the most important person in the room this morning that we need to hear from. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a Bible, open, open to Luke chapter 3. We're in Luke's gospel. We've said this uh, the last few weeks, but Luke wrote this to one person, a friend of his named Theophilus, uh, who was wondering what this whole Jesus thing was about. And he wanted him to be sure. He wanted him to have an account. He spent a lot of time. He took his time. He was thorough. He was a researcher. And he wanted to make sure that Theophilus could read this through. And it was book one. Book two was Acts. And he wanted to say, hey, I want to show you what happened with Jesus. I want to show you what happened in the early church. I want you to be sure, Theophilus, that what you're reading, what you're thinking about, what you're considering is true. And I think it's the same for us this morning. And we decided, especially in the middle of this pandemic and in the middle of all of the unrest that's happening in our country and in the world, that the best thing we could do is study the most important story in the world. And that is the gospel of Jesus. And so Luke chapter three, 
We are going to talk about John the Baptist. He's grown up. He went from being the baby in the womb who was jumping around when Mary came close. He was in Elizabeth's womb and he jumped when he felt the presence of Jesus nearby. Now he has grown up. But before I go there, I want you to uh, think about what if you were somebody who had had something happen in the year 2000, you went into a coma and your coma lasted 20 years. The last thing you remember is prepping for Y2K. Worried is your computer once it flipped over to that awful date of 2000. The whole world was going to be thrown upside down. Maybe you were like one of those extreme Y2K preppers and you're raising rabbits and you had guns and canned goods and all kinds of stuff, right? I knew those people. You know, we're all trying to figure out where do we go? What should we do? Is there a way to get around this? And then it was all a big fat nothing burger, right? When it happened. So maybe you went into a coma in the year 2000. Let's say you woke up today and you see your family looking at you and you're like, wow, you're old. <laughs> and you say, wait a minute, what year is it? It's 2020. 2020? Wow, we must have come so far in 20 years. And everybody in the room would go, um, yeah, not really. Would you be surprised if I told you that in the year 29 AD, it's pretty similar, pretty similar to the things that we experience, to the stuff that's going on in our world? Let me show you what I mean. And Luke will set the scene for us. Let's just read the first few verses of Luke chapter three. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along in your device or in your Bible, your real Bible with pages that actually turn. It's a novel thing. You know, it's weird. I have my, uh, I've been doing the Bible in one year. Uh, it's called B-I-O-Y app. And I've been doing it this whole year. It's been amazing. And next January, I'm going to invite everybody to do it with me. I know a bunch of people have done it this year. But so it's on my device and it, like that's where I go. But sometimes when I open the scripture, I sit down, I have my chair time. I have it in the same chair most of the time, every morning, coffee, piece of sourdough toast, butter, bam. That's, that's my chair time right there. So I'm sitting there and I look up the scripture reference on my device and you know what I do? I pick up my Bible on the table. I turn, I wanna, I wanna turn the page. I wanna, like sometimes it's just something that's weird about just going through it on the device and scrolling. I'll just grab my Bible, not that there's something holy or amazing about that, but I like it. It's kind of cool. I like underlining. It doesn't really work out well if you take a Sharpie to your phone. And so... You know, I like underlining in my Bible and finding things. So Luke chapter three, if you have a real Bible, let's look together. And notice right away, Luke wants to anchor you in a date, a real live date in history. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, it's your first name, Tiberius, Pontius Pilate, there's another one, governor of Judea, and Herod, there's your third name, being Tetrarch of Galilee. His brother Philip, that's your fourth name, of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysanias. There's your fifth name, Tetrarch of Abilene. During the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Annas was the priest before this, but it was kind of a cool thing to honor the guy that was there before. So he still names Annas. Caiaphas is the guy that actually has the office right now. So you got a bunch of names, you got a real date, we're here, we're in history. That's what Luke wants Theophilus to know. This really happened 
in this time. And look what it says. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And oh, by the way, it had been 450 years since the word of God. Our country's not even that old. 450 years it had been since the word of God had come to anybody. And John gets it in the wilderness. So he goes into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. That's a word that a lot of people don't like today. They think of Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, which by the way, if you've ever heard of that name, Jonathan Edwards, he was actually a monotone speaker. So hellfire and brimstone, no. He was just like this, talking to people. And they were, because of the spirit of God, afraid. <laughs> God was due. They, people said that actually when he spoke, people were seeing the floor open up and they could see hell below them. And so Jonathan Edwards is just up there like reading monotone and he's like, what's happening to everybody? And they're looking at the ground going, ah, okay. Repentance, that's what we think though. We hear the word like that, repentance, and we think, ooh, some angry preacher. I'm gonna, we're going to get out of that, but just right now, let's leave that word there for the forgiveness of sins. And then John pulls something out of the old, old, old library and says this, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. How many here handles Messiah when you read that passage? I do. And all flesh. So here he has, pulling these old things, he's getting God's word for the first time. So five different leaders named here. Luke is a thorough researcher. He wanted to make sure his friend Theophilus didn't have any hangups with the facts. Okay, wanted to do his work. So he goes above and beyond to anchor the story in history. Sources outside the Bible confirm this. These were the guys. They were in leadership, in rule during this time. Why is this important? Because this is not a fictional account. This is not just some story. This is a true story. It happened, but it's more than that. These events... Remember we talked about 2020 versus 29 AD? These events have everything to do with your life. In the year 2020, to the people of this time, when they heard those names, Tiberius, Pilate, Herod, Philip, Lysanias, they were like, oh, those guys. Probably the way people today, when they hear the names of politicians around the world go, oh, oh I like him, not him. Same stuff, okay? Same stuff happening back then. Some things they liked, other things they hated. No, he's our guy. No, he's not. I hate him. I love him. Wow. Things don't change very much, do they? But Luke is anchoring you historically. But he also wants to anchor you in redemptive history. Not just the history of the world, but redemptive history. God's plan to redeem the world. And he says, hey, go deeper. Go deeper than just reading history here. I want you to go deeper, folks, in 2020. And as with most passages of scripture, they're laden with meaning and symbolism. And so what you read here on the top layer is 
John the Baptist, who we know was kind of a wild guy. Like in another passage in one of the gospels, it says he ate locusts, he's eaten bugs, he's dressed in camel's hair. You know, if you've seen any depiction from the Jesus movies and stuff like this, what does John always look like? <laughs> like he's like wild hair, rah, kind of this just crazy man. So on the surface, it looks like this wild guy out in the wilderness preaching repentance and baptism. But listen, that's just a crust, okay? It's just a crust of some homemade bread. Now, this COVID time, Kelly Hine, who's actually here today, gave me a recipe, and she gave me a starter for sourdough. And I have been making sourdough bread during COVID. Not every week, every couple of weeks, and I freeze it, but that's where I get my chair time bread. I've been making it. And there is nothing, nothing in the world like fresh baked bread and you're watching it in there and it's just forming and then you pull it out and you're supposed to wait. You're supposed to wait before you cut it. If you don't wait, you know what happens? It gets all dense and it's bad. But if you wait overnight, preferably, that's really difficult to do. But if you wait overnight, it just gets this beautiful formation. And then next morning you're like, yes, Lord. Yes. So John the Baptist is baking bread. He's baking bread and people are in the city and they're like, what is, what is that? I know that smell. Like I'm used to quick trip bread, but I know that smell. That smells really Good. He is mixing. He's kneading. He's folding. People have been waiting and now people are noticing. And here's the thing. They're starving. They're starving for true food, real bread from God. People whose hearts are a literal wilderness. John is out in the wilderness and the hearts of the people are barren. They're empty. It's a nation who has long lost its place in the world as the people of God, but they can smell something and they're flocking to the wilderness. First, let's just think about where he is. The wilderness east of the Jordan, east of Jerusalem, the Jordan River. Is this a coincidence? Or does John pick this place on purpose? The Jordan River, it was always the border to the promised land. What's beyond the Jordan? Wilderness. So way back when, when the Israelites came into the promised land and Joshua was leading them, what did they cross? Jordan. What did God do? Little mini miracle in the middle of the Jordan. The waters stood up. Huh. Kind of like the whole Red Sea thing. Standing, crossing in to the promised land. But the Jordan also carries with it a negative memory. And it was this one, when they weren't obedient to God, when they didn't listen to his voice, when he warned them over and over, they also crossed it again, going the other way, which was to Babylon, exile. So the Jordan is a really important place. It's very symbolic. John is standing there and he's saying this new message. Now, they eventually came back from Babylon, but it wasn't the same. They rebuilt the temple. It had been destroyed 
by the Babylonians. They rebuild it. And the people who remember the old one are crying because it's lame. The young people are like, yes, we rebuilt the temple. And here's a key thing that never happened once they came back. The presence of God did not inhabit the temple again. When they were punished, when they were sent over the Jordan, remember John is standing here in the Jordan, come out this way to a new exodus. They left, they come back. God's presence left the temple. When they come back, he has never come back to the temple because the ark is missing. And the ark was where the presence of God dwelt. And so they're starving, they're hungry, they're barren, and they can smell bread baking. He's waking them up. He's reconnecting longings and deep desires for righteousness, for God's presence, for his power. What are they feeling? What's their spiritual bearing? So John, Luke has just put us on a historical bearing to say, hey, here's all these leaders. Here's the time in history, 29 AD. Here you are in the year 2020. Here are all your leaders. Let's name them. Let's think about them. Let's think about where we are in the world. Let's think about what's going to happen on November 3rd. All that stuff. And God says, where are you in history? How's it going? Is it pretty good? You feel good about everything? We'd all say, no. Same thing for them. All those leaders. What about our spiritual bearings? That's the question. What about your spiritual bearings. What are you feeling? So people coming out to John, you know what they're feeling? We're still in exile. We're still in captivity. Our hearts are in captivity. And so as they smell the bread baking, as they see something new, as something's waking up in them, you know what they say? We got a question. Do you know the way out of this mess? Do you know the way out of this? What is John talking about? A way out of this. The way out of this. If you read Isaiah's words, let me just read them again for you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. What was that? When was that first message written from Isaiah? Let me give you a hint. They had crossed over the Jordan into the bad place. They're in exile. And Isaiah writes to them, the exiles, the people in captivity. And here's what he says. There's going to be a way out. There's going to be a way out, a road that leads out of captivity. Now, I sometimes you just need to jump in and read it and understand what it was written to before. I've always just seen that as like, well, that's Handel's Messiah song. <laughs> that's the, that, those are the passages that we always see in the New Testament when they're re referring to Jesus. But originally it was written to people in prison saying, hey, one day you're going to get out. You're going to get out of captivity, out of prison. And here's the twist. You're not going to do it yourself. Prepare the way of the Lord. He is coming. He will get you out. It will be his way. This will be a new exodus with a new leader, the Messiah, God's anointed one who's coming for us. The baptism was symbolically washing away sin, pointing to passing through death to life. Same way through the Red Sea, they escape death, captivity in Egypt to life in the promised land. Same thing, they go from the wilderness into the promised land. Now John is standing, it's not a coincidence. He's on purpose standing in the Jordan. He is saying, it's time. Captivity in your hearts, it's time to get 
out. So let's ask the question. Luke is asking Theophilus to think about his own bearing. Kind of take a bearing, take a reading of where you are in history. Take a reading of your heart spiritually. The Israelites, they're listening to John. They're taking a reading. They're realizing I am hungry. I am in captivity. So where are you today? If you were to take a spiritual bearing, a navigation point in redemptive history, where are you? Are you held captive by sin, shame? Is your heart a spiritual wasteland? When Luke puts this passage in here, when John spoke the passage from a voice in the wilderness, guess what the wilderness is talking about? Not the real wilderness. What's the wilderness? We're the wilderness. We're the wilderness. Are there rough places in your heart? Are there valleys? Are there steep and sharp inclines? Are there cliff faces that are treacherous? Prepare the way of the Lord to come right through your heart. That is what John is saying. It's not, hey, look out into the desert and let's wait for Jesus to show up. It is, look at the road that needs to go right through the middle of your heart. Where are you in redemptive history? Take a reading, take a bearing, say, I am so off. I'm so far. Or I hear and I sense he is coming. Which path do you find yourself on? What is the condition of your heart and life? John is saying, here's the way. Yes, I know the way. Yes, I know the way. He is coming. Don't get hung up on the word repentance. It's a great word. It's easily misunderstood. It's wrongly applied. You know what it means? Turn. That's it. Turn around. Turn your heart and mind to God to see him as truth and life. So how would you respond if you saw him out there? You're smelling the bread. Let's see how the people respond. Verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds that, and here's their response. They came out and they want to be baptized. They're stepping up. They're like, hey, we smell your bread. Can we get baptized? So any good preacher, anybody who's hoping people will show up to a meeting at church should be fired up about this, right? This is great. You people are here. Let me tell you, you snakes. Oops. You brood of vipers. People are coming up like they're coming to the front. Hi, I'm just crying. I'm really feeling emotional about what you said. It's just awesome. I'm smelling the bread. I'm hungry. I'm desperate. What do I do? You're a snake. You brood of vipers. Uh-oh. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Oh, Jonathan Edwards isn't anybody compared to John with what he's doing. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. In other words, let the actions of your life line up with the fact that you have turned to God. Not the other way around. Don't show the stuff and there's nothing inside. Let there be something inside. Let there be a heart that is turned to God. And then actions come out. Fruit comes off the tree that is actually turned. Don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't say to yourself, I've been to church my whole life. I went forward when I was a kid. I went forward three times because I wanted to make sure it stuck. Once a camp, once a church, and then another camp. It was totally me, goodness. I kept going forward when I was in high school. I kept thinking I was losing it. Don't say you've got Abraham as your father. Don't just say I'm going off my religious laurels. For I tell you, God is able from these stones, rocks to raise up children for Abraham. 
unless you think John was about to be gentle, verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. In other words, you want to know where you are spiritually? There's an axe on your neck. That's how close you are to the wrath of God. Every tree that doesn't bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. A people, like here's what was happening right now. There's a whole bunch of horse eyes. Do you know what horse eyes are? Everybody's like, um, I think, I don't know if I'm going to stay. I think I'll. Instead, some of the crowd said this. What should we do? What should we do? He answered them. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Which I bet there were some kind of funny looks at this point. Huh? Tax collectors who also came to him to be baptized and said, hey, I'm a tax collector. What should I do? Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers came up to him. What should we do? He said to them, don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation. Be content with your wages. I love this verse. As the people were in expectation, I think lots of horse eyes. Everybody's like, what are we doing here? They're all questioning in their hearts about John. What's this about? Whether he might be the anointed one. John answered them all saying, listen, I'm just baptizing you with water. But he who is mightier than I am is coming. He's coming and I am not even worthy to just untie the strap of his sandals, which the implication there is the lowest of the low bond servant who used to clean the feet of people coming in out of the house. I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. It's an image to the judgment to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So to all of us who just buy flour in the store, back then they had to beat it out on the threshing floor and then they would take these things and flip it up into the air and the heavy stuff, the grain would fall back to the ground. The chaff would go and blow away. That's how they got their bread. I just go down to Hy-Vee, <laughs> right? Buy some flour and then I put it in my bread, but that's still extra work too. So most of the time we just like, yeah, quick trip, but this image here is of God doing this with people. The winnowing fork is in the air and the chaff will not last. It blows away. I love verse 18. Luke's like, ah, I've said too much. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. <laughs> He's kind of summing up a whole lot of preaching that John did. So I look at this and I see people coming to John and I say, whoa, Whoa, hold up, dude. John, what are you doing? You're being kind of rough. And you got all these people coming out to church and you're lighting them up. I have been a pastor in training. I still am. And you aren't usually taught to slam the first group of people who respond to your preaching. I missed that class where you call people snakes. In fact, the image here is brutal. When he says brood of vipers, that wasn't just saying you're a snake. The vipers in this area of the world, when they're born, they eat their way out of their mother. Yay for that image on Sunday morning, Chad. <laughs> but it's, it's awful. It's just a vile thing. That's what John thinks is the, the, 
the main thing he should say to these people. He's laying it on thick. Who warned you of the wrath to come? Bear fruit, keeping with repentance. Your life turned to God should reflect your actions. In other words, if you say you believe in him, if you love him, then your life should look like it. The ax is laid to the root of the tree. I don't usually say that to people. You can't just say, I was born into it. I walked to the front. I raised my hand. My family's always gone to church. I got baptized. I'm still going to church every week. I tithe. I mean, isn't that good enough? If your heart isn't changed, that's what John is saying. If your heart isn't changed, if there's nothing but a spiritual wasteland, if there's no fruit of the spirit, no daily confession of sin, no desire to pursue his heart, to see his kingdom come, then John says, it doesn't matter who your family is or what your credentials are or what you did at church. Oh, this is hard. But there are some who are waking up, smelling the bread, and they ask, what should we do? What should we do? So he says, my summary, share with people, don't cheat people or be greedy, and don't be a bully. Huh? John, this sure seems like what we hear from the religious leaders all the time. Just keep swimming, work harder, be good. Is that really it? Now, John is rightly hitting on some topics of righteousness, just right living. He upholds and highlights the peace and justice of God that's all throughout the Old Testament. Those things that he just spoke about, they're all there for sure. But don't miss that he is answering specific people when they come up to him. I'm a tax collector. What should I do? I'm a soldier. What should I do? Hey, it's Chad. Hi, John. My name's Chad. What should I do? Specific, pointed to the individual. Almost like God is reading hearts and minds who are wanting to turn and then saying, I have an answer for you. And his answers, again, aren't new. They're all over the Bible. It's, here's the problem. We are repeat offenders. We are repeat offenders in our sins over and over. We're not people who are pretty good and occasionally commit sins. We are sinners who produce sin. We are bent to do that. That's the fruit of our tree Sin produces sin. You know, in our day, preaching repentance and turning from sin to right living is a little taboo, isn't it? People don't like that. They want to be comfortable. They want God to just tell them that he loves them, that he's caring and kind. They really want and like the idea that truth could be relative. In other words, relates to what I think is important. I decide if I need this, you show me a God who's angry, I'll pass, right? That's kind of how we go today. So I don't want to hammer away at that. I want to ask a question. What will, and this is more the test. This is the test of whether or not it's real in your life. What if this, what we're doing right now, goes away? The Lord forbid, but what if in the next few years, we are at war, civil or otherwise. What if we're not allowed to do this anymore? To me, that's the test. Will you 
still have it as the longing of your heart to be with the Lord, to stand for him, to speak for him, that you have to, or will you say, yeah, it was okay, I'm done. That's the test right there. That is the test. If you say I'm done, then you're in this camp of like, there's no repentance, there's nothing happening in there. It is the best test to know whether or not there's true fruit in your life. Will it stand up to the fires of this life? If I answer that question on my own, here's Chad answering that question for you. Ready? I'm not excluding myself. Somebody says, Chad, will you stand up on your own? You know what I say? No. On my own, no. I will not choose Jesus on my own. I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need somebody who's coming to get me. Somebody who will drag me through the rocky places of my heart and the wilderness that is there. I don't need somebody telling me to be good. I don't need somebody telling me to do better. I need somebody to come and get me. And this is John's whole point. John wasn't out there to preach religion or to get you to do better. What did he start with? Prepare the way of the Lord. He is coming. Verse 15, that part where it says the people were in expectation, all questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. Here's how I interpret that. We're all feeling a little uncomfortable here. <laughs> we're just wondering if, um, I don't know, can you, is there somebody to help us with this? Because we feel like that whole thing you said about the acts. I mean, that's, that's not cool, man. That's, that's a difficult thing to say. Is there somebody to help us? And in verse 16, he answered, yeah, what we're doing here is symbolic. Somebody's coming who actually is going to do it in your heart. He's going to baptize with fire and the spirit. John, I don't know if I can do this. I'm going to fail. I don't want to fail. What is John's answer? Keep at it. Work hard. Do better. Is that his answer? No. His answer is the best answer we've ever heard. And it's this, God is coming. He will do it right. He will do something inside your hearts with his spirit. But he also makes it really clear with his mercy comes judgment. There is no separation. It isn't just like, yeah, we didn't like judgment anyway. It's so great that God's merciful now. With his mercy comes judgment. So the way is being prepared for you. The path is being secured for you. But if you reject it, judgment is waiting as well. Judgment and mercy. So John's having some success here. He's making a ruckus in the wilderness. People are noticing. In fact, Herod the king has noticed him. Look at verse 19. But Herod the tetrarch, and the but part there is basically saying all this stuff that John was saying Herod was like, what is going on out there with that crazy guy? What is he doing? Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him. That's a nice, fancy way of saying John lit him up too. You know why? Oh, because Herod decided to take his brother's wife and sleep with her. And then say, you know, I think I'll just have her as my wife too. Herod was a tool Okay, the guy killed his own son because he was threatened by him. Didn't want him to take his throne. So this is the Herod 
And John had the audacity to light him up too. So he reproved him for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all. And that what happened then? Herod said, okay, you're going to prison. John's end of his ministry, he gets locked up in prison. Verse 21. All the people, though, who were baptized see Jesus coming to get baptized. And Luke sums this up. It's in the other gospels if you want to look and find the parallel stories. But Jesus comes out to be baptized. In another passage, you see John going, no, 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 no. This is wrong. This is all wrong. I can't, I'm not supposed to, you should be baptizing me. I don't want to baptize you. I'm talking about you. And Jesus is like, it's okay. Let it go for now. Let it go for now. Jesus comes, is baptized. He was praying. The heavens were opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. A voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. If I'm one of John's buddies, I would say to him, you know what? You could have just taken a pass on speaking to Herod. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to do that. Herod was a jerk. He's prone to violence. He's narcissistic. He's suspicious. As I said, he killed one of his kids. John could have absolutely continued his ministry in the wilderness, doing really good things for Jesus. And I bet there were some followers who told him to do that. You can do it. Take a pass. But he was faithful to speak when the Lord told him to speak. He didn't hold back. He didn't sugarcoat. He didn't say, I know you don't like this word, repentance, but I'm going to say it anyway. No, he just, he just said it. If you were in Herod's court and you heard John speak to him, wow, I can't believe. Okay, you went there, didn't you, John? That's what you did. You went there. And by there, I mean the truth of what he spoke and ultimately what it would cost him, which we'll find out later in Luke. It's going to be his life. It's going to be his life for speaking truth. What I see here is John speaking up, speaking truth until his final moment of ministry. He's faithful. He doesn't hold back. And then when Jesus shows up, instead of saying, hey, let's be buddy, buddy, let's do this together. He gladly takes a step back as the Messiah steps onto the stage. Talk about the exact opposite of the ways of our world. It's not how we do it. That's not what we do. How easy is it for John just to ride this out, not get in hot water? He doesn't have to go to Herod. He doesn't have to take the attention off of himself. He can still point people to Jesus and still kind of keep a little thing on the side. Jesus comes out to affirm what John is saying. And this was a cool thing for me this week as I thought about Jesus getting baptized. I always kind of wondered, why did he get baptized? What was going on there? Go back to our thing about the Jordan River. And Joshua leading people over the Jordan River from the wilderness into the promised land. What is the anointed one, the Messiah, the leader, the king, the captain of the Lord, of the army of hosts doing, standing in the water, symbolizing going from death to life, which is what baptism is? Oh, I get it. I get it. He's standing there saying, John, just trust me. Trust me on this one. This whole thing that you guys are doing here, it actually represents something, death and resurrection, and I'm the guy to bring it to you. Jesus standing there, God the Father speaks and says, this is the one, by the way. Everybody want to know how you're going to get there? Everybody want to know the way 
to the promised land, to relationship with me, he's standing right in front of you. So John steps out of the way and is locked away. Let me say that again. John steps out of the way and is locked away. There are no awards. There are no book deals. There are no interviews on major news organizations. There are no podcasts, no Instagram pics with other famous people. John is a blip. And most will remember him only as the wild man in the wilderness, preaching repentance, who eventually got thrown in jail and then lost his head. That's what most of the history books say. But we don't go by the world history books. We go by the redemptive history book. Is this difficult to hear and accept? Yes. Would John tell you it was worth it? Yes! Yes, I think he would also tell you everything I said about Jesus is true. Lose your life for his sake and his kingdom. Now, turn, repent. He's the one. So where are you? Your spiritual bearings in this historical moment. What does the wilderness of your heart look like? Do you hear the call of the one who is the way out? Are you asking, what should I do? Are you willing to go there? Invite the worship team up. Jesus invites us to come to him, not to try harder, not to do a better job at religion, but to come to him, the one who is the way out. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for John very unique person. I, I kind of have a feeling that the people that were around John maybe would have said, you're kind of hard to get to know. <laughs> you're, you're a difficult friend, John. Um, you don't really do things the way everybody else does. Why do you got to be so extreme? Lord, I think you gave him the gift of knowing what his life was to be about. And he wasn't distracted. He stayed on there were some moments later, which we'll see in Luke's gospel, where he was maybe a little anxious, a little doubting, but he stayed on point. And Lord, when it was removed, when it was all removed and he found himself in prison, he's still saying the same thing. He's the one. He's the one. Lord, I do think we are moving in our history towards difficult times. I do think we will face those questions. What if all this is removed? Will we still be reaching for the Bible? Will those verses be written on our hearts even if the Bibles are taken for us, from us so that we can recite them in our hearts and minds even facing very difficult times? We are headed there, Lord. But God, you've gone before us. Those may be rocky places and deep valleys and cliff faces that are so treacherous in our world, but God, you've gone before us. You have faced the deepest, darkest crevice in the world, death itself, and came back from it. Jesus, thank you for being the way. Lord, thank you that the Bible is not just some random group of stories, but that they're all connected to you. And Lord, each time we spend together in your word and worship is an invitation for us to come to you, to hear your voice. If you're calling us this morning, could be to renew something, could be to leave 
a sin behind. It could be to say, you know what? I've never believed this, but something's happening in me. I'm smelling the bread. Lord, may we know it's the bread of life come from heaven, given, broken for us. Minister to us, Lord, as we sing together, let the truth go deep in our hearts.